Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. Strategy and systems missing in your hiring process. The answer is most likely yes, as 99% of entrepreneurs approach hiring as a reactive activity based on a current need. Now, this is dangerous because it perpetuates the transactional mindset that sets you up for failure. Strategy is not about how do I turn on the funnel. Strategy is about how you identify, contact, and engage with the person who will thrive in your business. This means being able to articulate your value to align with each individual. But strategy is not enough to get an A player to join your company. The structure of the interview process is the system that demonstrates excellence within the organization. And excellence is what every high performer strives for in their next company. I'm Rick Gerard and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win-win the strongest hires by sharing insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Hillman Sori. Hillman is the co-founder of Coach CRM, a sales coach software for managers company. Also, he's co-founder of Closed Loop, a sales strategy training and enablement firm, partner in the 2.12 Angels as a seed stage investor in venture capital, and author of eight top-selling books on sales, sales management, and coaching. He has helped to build teams in companies that range from early-stage startups to Salesforce, Box, SurveyMonkey, and Bill.com and some of the fastest growing companies in the world, totaling over $600 billion in valuation and market cap. He's also an award-winning trainer who has trained over 15,000 salespeople and over 5,000 executives. He is a sought-after speaker around the globe and a force contributor, which is what makes Hillman the perfect expert for today's topic. Hillman, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Thanks for having me, Rick. You know, I got to tell you, I, I, that that intro is a little embarrassing. I think Elon Musk intro is like, hi, I'm Elon Musk. Like, you know, when you really attain something, I don't think it needs to be so lengthy. I, I'm going to have to find a way to cut that thing back. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thanks for having me, Rick. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. So today we're going to talk about a couple of different things, strategy, systems, staff, and skills, which is kind of based on something that you teach, Hellman. So we're going to talk about what they are and why they're important to your company. And then we're going to talk about how to implement those missing pieces into your organization. Now, I'm going to guess those missing pieces are going to be strategy and systems because that's just what I see. What people don't sit and archetype their whole strategy for how they're going to go get this win-win, you know, a uh, a player inside of their organization. You say people don't have forethought in this, Rick? What? We all have this dream of that person kind of crawling out of the woodwork and going, "Hey, I want to work for your company." Yeah, they show up on your doorstep. It's like, please, please let me in here. Yeah, that happens every day. <laughs> right? Maybe at Google. <laughs> It does happen for large companies because they have a name brand and they have a big wallet and there are a lot of A players that will show up and knock on those doors and say, hey, I want to work here. That's absolutely true. But you got to start somewhere, right? But nobody is showing up at the doorstep of a startup saying, look, you guys got to hire me. Really? What, 80 hours a week and very little pay and some equity that may or may not become something one day? I want in. 
<laughs> yes, that happens almost never. Right. So let's talk a little bit about this challenge. One of the things that I see in my day-to-day interaction with entrepreneurs and executives is that I need to hire somebody for this role. Yeah. And then I ask them, okay, let's walk through what your strategy is and how are you approaching this and what system do you have in place to attract this person? Talk about your interview process. To me, that's an interview process. Almost every company, it's kind of like, hey, look, well, our interview process is, you know, we just, we bring people in, we talk to them. Right. Then if they like what we're doing, we hire them. Or, or they try to build lattice around something that is completely esoteric. Oh, oh yeah, you know what we do? You know, we do the founder screen and then we do the, um, you know, ICs come in and it's more like a culture fit. And it sounds great. Sound, it's a lot of words that mean absolutely nothing, are not repeatable and do not provide any opportunity for evaluation or real like powerful engagement between the organization, the people who work there and the people who aspire or might, might be working there in the future. It doesn't give you any kind of directional indication on anything. What I see the biggest problem being is that it doesn't attract an A player. does not. You're just having a conversation with somebody. And a lot of times companies are missing the fact that they have an A player across the desk from them. Yeah. I got an interesting quick, quick question for you because this is your world more than mine. You know, I, I focus on the sales side of this and, and your world is deep in the hiring thing. But I heard or I believe I read somewhere that the New York Knicks a few years back lost the opportunity at LeBron James because they botched. I mean, no one's really interviewing LeBron James, but still there's, there's, you know, there's an, there's a, an engagement where people are having a conversation about the opportunity to, to play there, quote unquote, work there. They botched it because it had no structure, no organization. There was nothing offered. And he just said, I don't want to work for an organization that uh, doesn't have their collective stuff together. And you see this happen all the time. But this happens with the sale too. This is your world. Absolutely. When you don't have any structure, you take somebody down a path and you just call them up and go, hey, you want to buy my product? Let me tell you why it's great. Well, well, that's what's so interesting is like, okay, so at least when you're doing that, and and obviously I am not uh, uh, poo-pooing systems or strategy when it comes to sales. It's all I do. It's what I make my life doing, right? But at least in that, if you're a startup, you've got this deck where you've gone out and you've said, we have a total addressable market that is going to be in excess of $11 billion, right? Whatever it might be. You're trying to get one hire. And if you lack preparation for the small pool of individuals who are right for your company by dismissing the concept of identifying what the strategy is for us to both find them, engage with them, get them interested in the organization and what systems we're going to employ with which to do so, it's really short-sighted. I mean, they are the linchpin upon which your engineering, your sales, your marketing, your product, your whatever it might finance, whatever it might be, hinges upon. And so I think it speaks volumes to either a lack in clarity around what these things should be, or just really not prioritizing hiring and your team as high as it should be inside of a startup organization, because that's truly your competitive differentiation. I totally agree. There's a lot more thought that goes into setting up the financial structure. There's a lot more thought that goes into actually even setting up your sales process. People think about sales strategy, go to market, and how you're going to actually acquire a customer. Why is there not a go to market strategy in how I'm going to acquire my best employees and how I'm going to keep them engaged? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And even think about this from the standpoint of, you know, of course, there are bootstrap firms out there that might be leveraging some of their network, but many of the VCs, and I know you work with a lot of these folks, have um, teams that are 
focused on how they can go about consistently identifying talent and drawing talent to their portfolio companies. I mean, there's, there's on the back end of it, there's such credence given to the value and the impact of talent in the organization. It's just that front piece, right? So, so how does one dig into identifying what our go-to-market strategy is for talent? And then the question that I get asked all the time by startups is, when do I need to start thinking about it? And the answer to that is, you know, day one, you know, you, you, you formed the corp. Well, it's time, you know, unless you plan to be a team of two and then that's not going to get you too far. No, no. Trust me. It doesn't get you anywhere. I've tried that one. <laughs> I feel like the reason why this is important to the company is that you mentioned something like you could have the resources, people setting you up and getting you strong people. But if you can't actually bring somebody through a structured process that gets them to join, you're going to fail. It's the biggest failure point. I, I, I am fortunate enough, and, and this has been somewhat deliberate, um, that I have a lot of friends who are on the recruiting side or the executive search side of the world, uh, just because I work with a lot of startups. And this is a critical need that I have as a resource, folks like you who, who know what they're doing with respect to this and, and know how to treat candidates and know how to bring the right people into an organization. And the biggest complaint I hear is that I keep introducing amazing talent that is right, that is ready, and the organization keeps fumbling and dropping the ball. I hear that more often, way more often than I hear the organization saying, I can't find good people, right? Which, which means that there's a readiness issue. And so it, taking that and being systematic about it, and of course it's different depending upon the organization, and there are cultural implications, and there are certainly implications with respect to whether you're a distributed workforce or you've got people into an office, et cetera. But this is that whole piece around strategy. It's like, so how are we going to go do this? And so early on, there might be a strategy that says, founders, we're going to go back to companies we've worked at before. We're going to go back to our alumni network. We're going to leverage our, our, a resource that is like a, a recruiting resource that's going to go and actively engage these people. And we're going to tell our story in a way that's compelling, not just now, but with respect to where these people would want to go in the trajectory of their professional career. And that's that's a strategy, right? Another strategy that, that I've seen employed very effectively. Oh, wait, don't give the strategy away yet. I love these strategies. Let's get into it. But you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. And for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find additional content and resources and your link to order your copy of Healing Career Wounds. Let it be your company's secret weapon to hiring ridiculously successful people. Our guest today is Hillman Sorry, We're talking about, well, right now we're digging into strategy, but we're talking about the four S's, which is strategy, systems, staff, and skills. We just started to delve into it. You just opened up with a really good strategy. And let's talk a little bit about strategy for a moment. But more importantly, I think before you get into strategy, we really need to develop a mindset that this is important. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, you know how the people usually don't develop that mindset <laughs> once they've lost out on four candidates and they're sitting there going, oh my God, my roadmap is suffering. My sales are suffering. My whatever it might be is behind. That's when they develop the mindset. So if you're listening to this and can take and heed this advice and be proactive, you're going to be a step ahead of the folks sitting next to you. Yeah. Let's delve into strategy. You started to bring up a couple of different strategies, reaching out to people in your network. This is what you need to do, especially when you get started. Tell me about the other strategy you were just starting to talk about. 
Yeah. So, and, and, and not to be so hyper-tactical on strategies because it can, it can, you know, I'm a consultant. And so one of my favorite two words is it depends, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's what you pay me for. I'm going to figure it out. No, but really the, the, there are many paths, grasshopper, right? There are lots of ways to get there, but a couple of things I've seen employed are obviously early on folks have come from some university somewhere, or if they've dropped out, then they've potentially worked somewhere. They've got some cabal of people that they know within one to two degrees of separation who would have some willingness to come to work with an organization like theirs. And so the onus is on them to then kind of reach out through that network. And that that exhausts fairly quickly. It, at, at a quality level, it exhausts fairly quickly. And here's the other thing. Do not, do not believe that you can do that on your own either. It is really impactful to have counsel or some sort of a partner who is really effective at building packages, understands compensation, understands how to present an offer to a candidate, rather than you just kind of going to a friend going, hey, Rick, you know, I'm doing this thing. When you think about it, you want to come work with me. It'll be much better presented if you've got a professional that's working with you that can actually do this, even to your own network. And some of the best folks will ask you out of the gate, you know, who do you know that we should be reaching out to? So that's one piece. Another thing I've seen people do really impactfully is you can get downstream or upstream. I'm not going to name the companies I've worked with that did this, but there is uh, there are two organizations that have two very different selling motions that are on opposite ends of 101. If you're familiar with San Francisco, one is in San Francisco, one's further down Silicon Valley. That's what all I'm going to say about who these two companies are. One of those companies hired really aggressively for folks who were going to be commercial salespeople. That was like their first entry level into the organization. This is a B2B SaaS organization, right? A lot of people had success there. They had a great path for growth for these types of individuals. They could move on and up throughout the organization and had an immense opportunity. The people who washed out of there weren't necessarily bad. They just didn't belong in that organization. So this other org that was further down 101 in Silicon Valley realized, hey, if you've worked here for nine months and you're ready for a pivot that's not inside of that organization, we are a great place for you to go because what we sell and the way that we sell it is probably more appropriate for you than the way you'd be going in this direction. If you have, and you're working with someone who can strategically understand, hey, there are orgs that are recruiting people, maybe training people, maybe doing things that we could be able to attract people out of that organization and offer them a better path to success, then you can get in that stream, either upstream or downstream, to be able to really recruit the right folks for your organization. But you and I have talked about this. A lot of people over-index on pedigree, and they say, I'm not going to think about what you're going to learn in my company, what I have to offer. I'm just going to go to the fangs of the world, right? The Facebook, Amazon, what is it? Apple, Netflix, and uh, Google. Is that fang? I don't know. Amazon, some, other, some, some, some subset of those. And geez, you're never going to win because your pockets aren't deep enough. No, you'll never beat those companies, especially if you're playing the same game that they teach, right? They teach you how to be transactional. If you get in that game, you're going to lose every time. And that's super frustrating. I don't know about you, but I don't like to lose. No, I, I'm not into losing. And you can't afford to when you're a startup founder. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right, because the impact is huge. It is. And demoralizing. So we're talking about some of the things that you're mentioning are kind of top of funnel, which we all think about, which is how do we get people in? Yeah. But there needs to be also a strategy around once I get people in, how do I bring them through the process in such a way where I'm understanding them, they're understanding us, and the right person's going to come out the bottom of the funnel? That's right. Yeah. And that's called sales, right? <laughs> 
It's also called having a North Star by which you judge people. Like I'm a big proponent of running off your core values of your company. You should have a strategy about, hey, look at, we can interview for skills and there's going to be plenty of people that have those skills. But a lot of times the people who have the skills that you want to get into the company to come out of the fangs, like you mentioned before, are not positioned properly for the organization, nor do they fit the values of the company. That's right. What's it going to be? I mean, is it going to be your ego or is it going to be let's disrupt the whole organization and getting somebody who doesn't fit? Well, that's just it. And you, it, it, I liken it to the sales process from the standpoint of, you know, you don't want to spend your time talking to folks that you should be disqualifying, right? Folks that just are not going to be a good fit. They're going to exhaust the resources of the organization from the standpoint of interviewing and back and forth and, and you know, whatever else might be involved in your process. Um, and the other piece, though, to your point with respect to the North Star and understanding your your values of your organization is then that can become a real fair and impactful litmus test, as opposed to some of these other things you and I have talked about before, which are just competency rubrics where, you know, okay, you can hit or miss on that like a dartboard. But then once you bring somebody into the organization, are they an absolute terror or are they even, you know, taking the, I've seen, I've seen orgs, small organizations, Rick, that have brought in a critical hire. Let's say this person is a in a leadership role, could be a leadership engineering role, could be a leadership product role, or even a leadership role on, on the revenue side. And I'm talking at like the 20 person inflection point. And that person, that person has derailed or taken the organization in an entirely different direction, counter to the values and mission that the founders had set forth, that the investors had invested with and, and the other 19 people had bought into. And it just creates mass havoc. And then what happens invariably, you got to move that person out and then you've got a demoralized organization. You've got a stigma, you know, on, 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 on the company itself and, you know, whatever that person was impacting or whatever they were touching has been set, set back. So what components do we need in strategy in order for a company to run a strong strategy for this? So first, I think you've got to be able to do some level of competitive differentiation. And this doesn't have to be some science project, right? But you've got to understand relative to the marketplace and who you're trying to recruit, who else is going after them? And then where do you sit competitively? And who is the persona, the type of individual that would thrive in your organization versus the other? And what comes out of that then is how do you message that? Right. A lot of people go in and that's really easy once you actually have your core values, your company, and you live that. Absolutely. You can make this work fairly easy on yourself rather than saying, well, what ends up happening a lot of time people focus on the product. That's it. This is what we're doing. And this is why we're going to be better at everybody. And it's focused on we're the product. We're going to change the world. Yeah. Better, swifter, faster, stronger, invested in by XYZ. And our, our, we've come from this university. And it's like, okay. Another one. Yeah, another right, exactly. And increasingly, you know, there are generational differences. And, you know, Gen Z and Gen Alpha have even a very different view on this than millennials do with respect to who they want to go, go to work for and or work with and why and what that means for them and their contribution to society and their contribution to community and their own value identification, right? So being able to get those messages right out of the gate, number one, is going to differentiate you, comp differentiate you competitively. Number two, is going to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. Is that the right use of that expression? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Your messaging in who you are should attract the right people and repel the wrong ones. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
That's exactly right. That's exactly, that's all, that's all you're after. It's not a catch-all. It's not, I want everybody to be interested so I have more, 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 because you actually only need like this one hire for this role or these four hires for this role, right? Yeah. If you take this to your pitch deck, you're not saying we're going after this trillion dollar market right off the bat. You're going to start at a small segment and you're going to actually build up from there. You nailed it. You nailed it. And it's no different. And this is the whole thing. I, I think the point you're getting to is that this is not complicated. It just needs to be discussed, right? <laughs> yeah, this is this is not ex- exhaustive thing. Well, it needs to be thought of in the same terms as uh, running a sales process. Absolutely right. So then you take that though, and to, so to, to leverage your term right there, you figure out how you're going to market and what channels make sense to reach these people right? Engineers are reached in a different way than salespeople are reached. And salespeople are reached in a different way probably than the folks in finance and admin and operations, right? So then being able to leverage that, you can kind of codify a strategy that makes sense that also allows you to evaluate how impactful those messages are, if the messages are resonating, if there's a tweak that needs to take place, if in fact you are drawing to you the types of individuals at the caliber that you need to the organization, or if something needs to be positioned differently or if the channel needs to be done differently. So this is the piece that I find incredibly important, which is how are you evaluating the effectiveness of your, your hunt for the sale, for, for, for any role, right? How, 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 what was your hypothesis? How many people did you think you'd bring into the org? How many interviews did you think you'd have? What was the quality upon which you're evaluating those interviews? And then how many people did you hire? And then this creates kind of this flywheel of repeatability where you can be in a consistently hiring mode and identifying talent and keeping them warm because, hey, that's what the smart people do, right? They've got folks who they want, who they know they're going to hire January 1. I'll, I'll tell you personally, I know somebody I'm going to hire January 1 because they've had such an extraordinary year this year that they're going to get paid out on that. And then they're going to be ready for a new challenge. They don't know I'm going to hire them January 1, but that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I've got like five or six people on my radar that I already know that I'm planting seeds. I already know that I'm going to hire them at the point that I need them. That's it. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's that's proactive. And they're already in your pipeline and you keep that warm. You have conversations, you reach out, you see if you can offer value to their career, all of these types of things. The, the, the nurture of, of the candidates, probably a different show. But yeah, that's critical with respect to strategy too. Moving from strategy to systems. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so I guess systems we 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 dovetailed into a little bit when I was saying that you've got to develop some sort of a, a hypothesis and then be able to evaluate each of those steps along the way as though you're looking at a funnel. Like how many folks did we attract? How many interviews did we have? What was the quality of those interviews? What came out of that effort? How much was expended from the standpoint of time and energy and resources in, in bringing these folks into the organization? Or did we did we throw up a goose egg? So being able to be agile with with a tech stack, you know, whatever that is, and if you're if you're working with a hiring partner, recruiter, executive search, talent team, whatever it might be, ensuring that there's synergy there. One thing that I'm sure you you talk to folks about fairly fairly uh, regularly is being fast, right? This is not like here's a candidate. Okay, let me wait two weeks until I get through the end of this quarter to go reach out, right? People have to be able to be nimble and proactive, particularly if you want. Uh, you know, grade A type folks. Um, And then obviously just part of the system needs to be a feedback loop. If you have multiple folks involved in an interview process, or if you have multiple folks who are touching a candidate, whether it's an internal 
um, HR individual or an admin who's the first touch all the way through whatever the candidate experience might be, ensuring that you get a feedback loop and that you're looking for continuous improvement in this respect will ensure that with each hire, your organization develops learning, tribal knowledge, becomes more impactful at it and continues to attract um, and be able to hire really impactful people in a win-win situation. In my experience, the interview is always the bottleneck coming from, you can have a great recruiting staff, you can have somebody who owns it, but once you put two people into a room together, that's usually where you have no idea what happens. There's usually no basis by which the conversation happens. It's like, we're having a conversation and I'm testing them on skills. And right. Ripping. I got a weird vibe from that person. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> And I've found that like the people that get weird vibes from people sometimes are usually the people who aren't your top performers. Right. Yeah. Because they can't define why they don't want this A player coming in and making them look bad. Yeah. Exactly. Having that interview loop solid so that the people who are in there are attracting those people as well. But being able to provide the interview questions for somebody just so that they understand how to gather the evidence to support whether or not somebody aligns with the values, that doesn't really exist in a lot of companies. That's exactly right. That's a key differentiator, especially when you're bringing somebody in and nobody else is doing this interview process, but you guys are. Well, how about the, the situation where you've got the candidate who comes in and has maybe four people that they interview with individually? Those folks have not been provided with what their role is in the interview process, nor have they been provided with questions. And so what happens is you have the same interview four times with four different people. So tell me a little bit about what got you here, Rick. What was it like working for so-and-so? And you're like, really, again? You know? <laughs> Walk me through your resume. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk Where do you want to be in five years? resume, yes. They almost always do that too. Like, oh, okay. They do. They do. I haven't prepped for this interview at all. So walk me through your resume. Hey, can I ask you, how, how do you feel about resumes as, as part of the system of, of review for a company? Are they still relevant today? I don't yeah. like them. I don't, I don't think either. that they should be fed to interviewers because, again, if you're doing a proper interview, it gives somebody a bias point or a preemptive decision-making point that they can look at and go, mm, yeah, I don't know if I like this. Agreed. I want people to go in blind and be able to, here's my interview questions. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to extract this data and understand whether or not somebody aligns with the organization. If they do, great. If they don't, then I won't. I don't think you can get rid of bias until you get rid of the resume. I agree with that completely. I agree with that completely. And, and I think that sometimes people, myself included, I start digging into the company and my view of the company and where it worked, where, what I've heard of it before, what I thought of it. Nothing to do with the individuals sitting across from me. Yeah, it's because people get uncomfortable. Where do they go? They go into sales mode. That's right. Let me tell you about why we're great. Yeah. Why you want to work here. Plus, we, we know how honest everybody is on resumes, right? So it's, it's what is it? Action, action verb plus metric equals bullet point. Like, yeah. <laughs> Achieved 60% growth. Sure you did. Yeah. yeah. Year over year. Yeah, totally. Year over year. That's it. And again, I think there's better ways to get data to support whether or not you move forward. Now, the last two points, staff and skills. Walk me through what you mean by staff. Yeah, so staff, I think it's really important to just understand who's going to be involved in the interview process. You know, it, it can't be this like catch all where it's like, hey, Rick's coming in. Who's available? What time are you going to lunch? Are you going to lunch? Okay, hey, Jennifer, are you free? You're free? Okay, we'll take conference room C and go talk to Rick. Like this happens so often where it's just like, I don't know who or why, right? So it's, I, I almost look at it like if it's done well, because this is a process of attracting somebody as much as it is a process of vetting someone, right? So if it's done well, 
I think it should be done like a play, like a Broadway play where everyone has their blocking. They know where they're supposed to be. You know where that person is supposed to be too. You know what took place in that interview prior to you, right? Maybe not the context of the output, but at least you know what, what Hillman was supposed to be uncovering there and you know your role and you own it and you can come back and then report out to the team relative to the things that you were supposed to be talking about discovering and even imparting to the individual. So that's the other piece, right? Is there is there is some sales to it. It's not just walk me through your resume and tell me why you should work here. It's hey, I'd like to understand where you are, what you've done before, where you see yourself going. Let me see if that aligns with some of the things that we're thinking for where we'd like to go and what we see in this role and how we can support you and what you bring to the table. It's it's much more like a date these days than it is like an interview. You know what I mean? And, and, and so understanding and pulling in the right staff for that, I also sometimes think that people go overkill. They think more is better. I'm going to have them go to lunch with the team and meet them. Okay, if that's your culture, sure, that's fine. Um, don't know how much you'd really glean by having one person sit down for a lunch and you're, you're, you're well, I don't know who's doing this anyway anymore with, with COVID, but like sitting down with 15 people at a table, not sure that's the best evidence of how someone's going to be collaborative inside of your organization. Up to you. But. If you're a remote environment, it doesn't even, like, there's no point. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Am I ever going to see you again in person? Probably not. Yeah. So although I did talk to an organization that was very interesting, they do, I, I can't remember the name of it, but basically one person, uh, an hour a day can DJ on Zoom and anybody who wants to can come and they just kind of work together. They're not collaborating or talking to each other. They just have Zoom open, whole bunch of boxes, music is playing and you're just working as though you were kind of like in an open workspace. I thought that was kind of interesting from a culture perspective. But um, so with respect to staff, that's, that's the piece is the who and what are they doing? And then what's the key point for skills? So skills, it's like, to your point, give people the best opportunity to succeed in the interview process, right? So provide them with cheat sheets, provide them with tools, give them something that is a reminder that, remember, these are our values because, yeah, we talked about them back in you know, June 19th or, or, or June of 2019, but do you remember <laughs> what the values of the organization are? Do you remember what we're building here? Hey, if I, if I happen to be in marketing, do I know the roadmap and where we're going and what that's going to mean for who we're reaching out to and who our critical audience is going to be and the types of things that these people are going to need to know and understand? Like just give the team the best tool, the, the interview team, the best tools to be successful. And then the best tools, of course, to be, to be able to articulate a value proposition of the role. And then also tied to that is develop some interview chops. Develop a means of, of not everybody in an org. Great, granted, hopefully the sales team is very adept at having one-on-one -on -one conversations or, or even one-to-many type conversations and facilitating that because they do that all day long. They're paid to do that in most organizations, right? Well, if someone is in accounting and, and I'm painting in broad strokes here, right? If someone is in accounting and their mindset is much more analytical and they're staring at a screen all day with spreadsheets, maybe you want to teach that person, okay, how best to navigate a conversation with some active listening in a way where it's not like I'm just ticking boxes and going through and grilling you, but give them the best chance to develop the interview chops to be able to identify what kind of colleague is going to be great for the organization. That's such a great point. We're getting pretty close on time, Hillman. What are two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into the business today? I say, you know, first, first and foremost, just recognize and be diligent about the fact that hiring is as critical as identifying customers. If you look at identifying the people who are going to be in your org is as, is, is as critical as your addressable market and how you're going to sell, 
then taking that piece and getting some rigor with respect to how you intend to go find these individuals. And you've got headcount, right? Whether you're bootstrapped or whether you've been funded, you've got headcount that you know you're going to need for each role identify what is the strategy to go get those folks and then build a system around your team that's going to allow for that to be successful, allow for that to be have have feedback associated with it and to be a scientific process that you can evaluate and get incrementally better. I'm all about that theory of marginal gains. 1% a day equates to a significant amount over a year. That's such a good point. Well, Hillman, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can find you, you know, all the exciting stuff you're doing? Yeah. So two things. You can go to my, um, you can go to closeloop.com is website to go to if you have any interest in sales training or developing uh, sales chops, either as a startup, go to market, anything along those lines. We, we work with folks from two people in a, in a garage all the way through uh, IPO. Um, and you can always reach out to me at Hillman Sori. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. After all, we are listening, and we want to continue to bring you great content week after week. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at rickatstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Karima Gulick. Karima is a patent and trademark attorney with the Innovent Law Group. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Gerard. Rock, rock, rock.